I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is You Can't Make This Up. You Can't Make This Up is the podcast where we uncover the true stories behind your favorite Netflix documentaries and films. On this episode, we mark season two of the Netflix documentary series, Untold. Today, we take a closer look at the two-part episode, The Girlfriend Who Didn't Exist. And then she said my name again, and the breathing stops. And I... This time, we're talking to directors Ryan Duffy and Tony Vinuku. Notre Dame's Manti Teo was already one of college football's biggest stars. His stature grew when he revealed his longtime girlfriend died right before a critical game during his senior season. But on the eve of going pro, reporters uncovered his online girlfriend never existed. At a time when the public hadn't heard of catfishing, football fans were left to wonder how Teo could be duped by someone he'd never met, or whether he was actually in on the hoax. Just like the feel-good hit of the summer, the Manti Teo story isn't real. What started as an inspirational story deteriorated into a cruel, twisted hoax. The initial response was total bewilderment. This was a very elaborate, very sophisticated hoax. And I'm joined by executive producer and director Ryan Duffy and director Tony Vinuku. Welcome to You Can't Make This Up. Thanks for having us. Yes, indeed. This is probably the most empathetic approach to this story that could possibly have been taken. Uh, Ryan, how important was that to you, given how this was handled when it first broke? Uh, critical. I mean, it, it was job number one, I think, is, is putting this story back in the hands of the people who experienced it. Um, there's been a lot of talk about this story, both at the time and in the decades since, but precious little of it came from the people who actually went through the experience themselves, who at the time were kids. And I think that gets lost in a lot of this too. So, um, revisiting this, uh, with an empathetic lens and through the eyes of both Manti and Naya was really what we set out to do. Now, this is the story of two people, two very young people, and how their worlds collided. Manti Teo has been reluctant to talk about this topic. So, Tony, how did you get him to sit down with you? Um, I, on my last film, had worked with some NFL players that I knew could at least get me on a call with him. I, I, I was familiar with the story, but, of course, didn't know the details like many of us. Um, but I reached out, you know, I mean, what was important for me before coming on to the project was to basically find out where Manti was and why he hasn't told the story for so long and why he was reluctant to answer any calls. So I was I, I fortunately got on a call with him in, the, in, in a couple of days um, and then jumped on a Zoom call with him. And I immediately knew he was ready. I just kind of had to help mm. him understand he was ready. And and of course, you know, obviously being Polynesian, there were, there were just certain things like that. But that's that's kind of how we all got connected and in 2020 and the rest is history from there. It's been just unreal from, you know, the interviews that had unfolded from there. I mean, me and Duffy both were after a few days with, with Manti, just our jaws dropped um, with, with the story that came out. Um, Duffy knew it so thoroughly and uh, you know, was so prepped with like 
exactly how the media had had, had saw it and, and whatnot. But um, again, you know, with Untold and and with the Way Brothers uh, style of, of filmmaking, just giving it back to the the sports figure on a human level was um, was what was important and what we fortunately got. Now, of course, the other person in this story is Naya Tuasasopa. She is a transgender woman now living in Washington, but before her transition, she was known as Renaya. Now, you began each episode with a note to viewers that most of the interview subjects were unaware that Renaya had transitioned to Naya. Uh, your message, I think, to viewers is that your subjects aren't intentionally misgendering her. Was that important for you to make that distinction, Ryan? Oh, yeah. Crucial. And and look, the only reason for that and, and one point of clarification on Renaya and Naya and her names, which is understandably a little bit confusing. Renaya is her name. Naya is her nickname. So Renaya has mm. remained her name. Um, and Naya is just kind of what what she goes by. But yeah, look, it, it, it was a, a very sensitive issue, obviously. And the main thing we wanted to do for, for Tony and I and for everyone making the film is put all decisions about that uh, in Naya's hands completely and totally. So when we were interviewing other subjects about this, Naya hadn't publicly come out and informed people and we didn't feel like that was our place. Certainly, you know, they naturally they know Renaya from the time. So they were using what they thought were appropriate pronouns. We just wanted to make it clear that no one was trying to be intentionally cruel or doing so in a way that was at all demeaning. It was it was purely a, a function of what they knew and, and when they knew it. And we also consulted with Renaya about how we were going to frame that up. And, and she was kind of prepared for that. And, and we agreed upon the language in that card and worked with some partners to make sure we were we were contextualizing it all appropriately. So unlike the popular narrative, Ryan, she didn't set out to target Manti Teo in particular, right? Well, yeah, the, the interesting thing in this, I think, is is one of the many things that gets lost in the way that this scandal was talked about. Renaya was framed as this kind of Machiavellian villain who, you know, had this master plan and Manti was the, the victim and Manti was the victim, but it's the part about Renaya that gets a little skewed. Renaya created this profile because she felt trapped and she was going through experiences that she didn't totally understand, but she knew that she felt not fully comfortable in her identity as it was at the time and was just exploring outlets in a way that a lot of us do when we're teenagers and, and kind of testing the boundaries and seeing what feels right for us. Um, and I'm not condoning what she did, and I don't think she would either. But, you know, this was an extension of that that, that maybe went too far. Um, but there was a very vivid point in the interview with her where she described setting up this profile to me. It was really like a lot of how I really am. My interests, my uh, taste in music. It was me with... A different name tag, a different photo, but as far as everything else, it was 100% me. And that really reframed it to me versus this idea that it was this elaborate ploy targeted at this one very specific person. I think as you see, you know, that, that of what um, 
just what the film and what we're able to put together is Naya was definitely a real person behind there. You know, it was just not a real identity. Right. And so, yeah, at the end of the day, you know, like she'll probably be able to speak to that more than we can, as far as what she was actually going through at the time and what her intentions were. So Tony, so you were in some ways like a viewer of that interview with Naya, just like I was. And as I was watching it, it actually made a lot of sense to me why she would assume this female online persona. It's like she was testing out, experiencing the world for the first time as a woman. I mean, did that strike you too? In some ways, I found it very moving uh, because this is a world, you know, we weren't talking about young people being right. able to as- assume and and play with identity back then like sure. we are now. And certainly it wasn't a, an accepted part of ver- the vernacular in the conversation like it is today. Right. And even for me personally, I mean, uh, even with the Polynesian community, it's even a tougher conversation, um, you know, with, with sports being so dominant. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it, there's a little bit of taboo that go- goes to it, especially back then. So yeah, I definitely did feel for her um, and what she was going through. I think one thing that I was that I was so pleased with was the fact that she was just as vulnerable as Manti and ready in a lot of ways, as you see uh, on the movie, you know, them going back and forth and how everything aligns and, you know, they're all just really ready to tell their truths. I think that that was that was really helpful for just us as filmmakers to get the best story out there and ultimately do what what we set out to do, which was tell their their truth on both sides. Now, Tony, that decision to go to Notre Dame seems so important in this story because he was physically isolated there. He was, you know, culturally unhappy there. He was discomfited by the physical coldness of the space, the faith disparities. To me, it's not a stretch to see why he would be comfortable with a long distance online relationship. Yeah. It's it, it to me seems like low maintenance, sexual right. inexperience, isolation, and he's busy. Yeah. Uh, you know, it seems like, you know, a good fit in many ways for <laughs> yeah. him to, to be in this yeah, situation. I mean, it's a perfect storm, right? I mean, like, like the perfect person for this to happen to if it's going to happen to someone. I mean, Manti is the definition of faith, family and football. And so, you know, just really, really telling that part of the story with with how faith driven he is, you know, whether it's through the culture, the religion and all that kind of really sets up, you know, the the uh, to just be part of the scandal. Right. I mean, he is it, it is perfect. And then the whole Mormon thing, you know, being in Salt Lake City, I understand that, too. You know, they're not out there having phone sex, you know, most likely, you know, it's it's probably pretty innocent. Um yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and we we're, we were happy to tell that part of the story as far as the faith goes. It was interesting to me, too, uh, Ryan, that, you know, this is something that we've heard in other, you know, more contemporary catfishing stories that, you know, it's easy to say, you know, you're naive to have a relationship with a made up person. But he actually did verify her identity with a few people that she'd connected with also on social media who had also been speaking with her, right? Yeah, he did. And and that was something that I, I hadn't heard. I, I don't know to the extent that was reported at the time. I, I don't think much, if at all. Manti did do everything that, you know, we, we always scream that people should be doing when we're at home watching episodes of the Neve show on MTV, right? Like, Check with someone, like all, all this stuff. Manti did that stuff. I know your cousin Shiloh. I'm like, Shy, 
Do you know who this? Do you know a girl by the name of Lene? I remember Mantai uh, reaching out to me about Lene, and uh, he just asked me, "Do I know her?" and I told him, yeah, I talked to her before. Things got lost in a game of telephone. People had interacted with the Lene profile, but, you know, he wishes, he said, in person, right? Like, there were just little nuances and little unspoken things. But I think what it all ladders back to, and the thing that I think is so important for people to realize in this, is, like, we look at everything. It's so hard for us in 2022 to take off our 2022 glasses and put on our 2012 glasses right. and realize that at the time catfishing as we as we talk about it now just wasn't a, an established phenomenon it wasn't part of our cultural vocabulary and and putting aside that word which i i, I think is has become kind of problematic in its own just the idea of identity and the fluidity of identity in the online space was something we were still coming to understand so for manti it's, it's not really fair for us to sit here and talk about all the ways that now in 2022, we would react and we would verify and all of this stuff. He was a kid. He was, you know, particularly adept or, or particularly, I guess, well set up for this. Primed. Yeah. 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 Just a super nice, trusting guy. I right at the, at the end of the day. And, and, and this, this was, as Tony said, kind of, the perfect storm. And, and we just, we didn't quite know what we know now. Listen, I don't think you need to put on 2012 glasses to buy this. I mean, I just listened to a podcast called Sweet Bobby last year, in which a woman who's also part of a small community in London was fooled by somebody for 10 years, who happened to be her a relative, wow. spoiler yeah. alert, who did the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, very similar circumstances. And the, the thing is that people aren't fooled because they're stupid. People are fooled because the people fooling them are good right. at it. And the thing I kept thinking, and, and, and Tony, I'm wondering if you thought about this, is that... The way that Manti was treated because he was a male victim of Mm -hmm. this versus being, you know, women are often treated poorly. It's like, how could she have fallen for this? Like, she's so dumb or whatever. But it's because they're usually the people doing it are good at it. There were questions asked, in other words, that I don't think would be asked of a woman. Right. You know, like all sorts of things thrown out there about his culpability. Was he in on it? Right. You know, is, you know, is, his sexuality, right. all things th- thrown out there that just seemed like, you know, I, maybe because of his celebrity as well. Right. And, the, you know, I think I think we, we show there on the film, too, as far as the media goes and the homophobic take on on all of it. Um, definitely. No, I think that's exactly right. I, I, I think he bore the brunt of a particular tone to the coverage at the time that was, this was a huge story. Like, I, I think that's the other thing we, we lose track of with, with distance um, and just how decentralized, the, you know, our media news consumption has become over the last decade. This was, I don't know if it's one of the last like monocultural events, but like it was up there. You know, we all mm. talked about this and this yeah. was not covered on sports. I mean, it was covered on sports center, but this was covered on morning shows. This was, you know, you see in the in the film and Anderson Cooper is talking about it like this is nightly news stuff. This right. transcended sports and, and permeated mainstream culture in a in a really interesting way. And it was made sensational. It was salacious and it was kind of bizarrely accusatory in, in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, it was really, uh, you know, dramatically unfair to Manti. (laughs) 
Now, I am curious, and this is something that, you know, I have wondered about in other catfishing stories. Uh, Lene, why fake a death? Why not just say, you know, Manti, I'm seeing someone else. <laughs> or, you know, Manti, I'm moving across the world and this is no longer working out for me. Or I'm just not that into you right, anymore. Right. Why does it always have to be a death? <laughs> yeah, that was a really dramatic uh, situation and and really hard to to watch. I think what I don't think we have an answer to to exactly why she was so dramatic. I mean, for for me personally, obviously, I and how I feel um, is there's a little bit of ego. You know, again, we have to go back to the fact of how young they were and how elaborate it ended up getting, and how out of hand it ended up getting, and then you know how how big of a how big of a platform he was on and, and, you know, there being a little bit of jealousy or, you know, losing touch with, with, with them, which, we, which I feel like we show in the movie. Yeah. I mean, that's how, where I sit on it as far as that goes. We, and we did, we put this question directly to Naya and what she says is that the death was because you know, the death served two purposes. Essentially it was, it was to end the, the relationship with Manti, which, you know, in isolation, yes, could have been done <laughs> a lot of different ways that were right, a bit right. less dramatic and severe. Um, but the reason she chose that route is because she also had to end it for herself. She said that it was as much about making her own peace with the identity of Lene Kakua as it was ending the relationship with Manti. And if it was just moving or if it was any one of these kind of less dramatic uh, resolutions that that wouldn't have you know put a put a hard stop to it as much as the death. But I feel like I think what we did, uh, what we're able to accomplish as filmmakers is to. She says it right. She says it in a couple different ways, and you still are able to kind of have that question on what 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 was really the reason and whatnot. So yeah, it's quite a moment too when you when when she says to you and she says to the viewer that she realizes that when the death becomes what propels him all of a sudden that you know to this new level of fame that everyone is talking about it she's just like oh Oh, no like i didn't expect for it to like blow up so quickly i already knew like oh no like this can't be good and of course, then some people point to the night of the Heisman Trophy presentation when he's asked on TV, you know, Manti makes this comment about his girlfriend, even though at this point he knows the truth. And some people say that it's proof he doesn't come to this story sure. with clean hands. I'll never forget the, the time when I found out that, you know, my girlfriend passed away. And uh, the first person to run to my aid was my defensive coordinator, Coach Diaco. What do you make of that moment? Is it just an in-the-moment reaction? I mean... If he did, you get the sense that if he could do it over again, he would have done it differently. That was a big question for us, right, right, Duff. I mean, that was the big question. That was huge, um, and and the answer that we we felt we were able to get from Manti as he answers in the film. You know that that what was he supposed to do? He's learning all this information for the first time, and then faced with it right after. It's like, is this where I explain it? Should I have said on a national stage in the Heisman that hey, I just got a phone call two days ago that. The person who said she was dead is now alive. Do I do that, Annette? You tell me. Yeah, so so that was that was huge for us. Yeah, I I, I agree with Tony completely. Look, that was the big flashing red light for us. Cause we yeah. we were before we ever talked to Manta, before we ever talked to Naya, before we did anything, we were forensically putting this thing back together. In large part with, you know, using 
you know, we ended up talking to the the two guys from Deadspin who did unbelievable reporting work on all of this and, and were an amazing resource, um, Tim and Jack, uh, for us. But we were sketching this whole thing out in the timeline and all the conflicting media reports and everything else. And that was the moment, of course, that you come right. back to and go, wait, 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 hold on. This timeline doesn't make sense. What did he know? When did he know it? Blah, blah, blah. Like Tony said, when we put that question directly to him, I, the guys had 10 years, if he had chosen to, to come up with some elaborate reason, I'm sure he could have figured out a way to explain that away. It's, oh, is this or that, or I didn't actually know this or whatever. I thought that was as honest as he got, Mm -hmm. right? The the fact that he just kind of had this messy, very human answer that all of a sudden, like I had my, you know, my tinfoil hat on and I was like, oh, is it this or is it that? And then we put it to him and he was like, yeah, I was 19 years old. I had just right. found out this earth shattering information and now I'm on stage in the biggest moment of my life. Right. What would you have me do? And right. all of a sudden I was just like, oh, yeah. Yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now I have a question about Notre Dame because I was really surprised. It seemed in the documentary as if they somewhat had his back on this. Uh, it was that more nuanced than it came off in the documentary that they were supportive of him, that they had planned the strategy around him because it that's how the present day interviews seemed like they were still behind him. They believed him and they planned to have his back. Yeah, I, I, I think it was. Um, and look, I, I don't the thing that I can't know. None of us can know is we, we can we can understand someone's actions. We don't we'll never totally understand their motivations. There's a completely above board reading of that, which is. Notre Dame knew Manti, and at that point, they'd known him for years. They knew him on the field. They knew him off the field. They believed him. They believed in his character and the person he was. And I, I take that at its face. I, I, Manti is as charming and trustworthy and good of a person as you could ever hope to meet. I really do mean that. Like I, I'm staggered by it. Um, there's also a cynical reading of Notre Dame's position, right? That wouldn't be hard to get to if you wanted to put it through that lens, which is Manti was a star in college football is a massive, massive business. Um, again, I'm not, I'm not saying this is the case, I'm just saying there's a lot of different factors that go into the Notre Dame position on this thing. And, you know, I don't think we can discount the fact that, you know, Manti was the face of that football program. And that football program is a huge institution, to say the least. Well, there is an unexpected cameo in episode two, which is Dr. Phil. Um, Renaya went on the Dr. Phil show. I have to ask, is it ever helpful to go on the Dr. <laughs> Phil show? Was it helpful for Renaya? Uh, I don't think Naya would do that one again. I brought in uh, world-class experts that do voice analysis and all, and that was him speaking to Manti Teo all of this time. I think that was, for both of them, I think they were both in a little bit of shock, right? And and they were, that, that's where I think their youthfulness really, really came through was after this, you know, the Deadspin article was, was published and they were in what was essentially this tornado of of attention and coverage and invasive media in in their personal spaces and they all of a sudden seemed as young as they were and i think there were 
you know, people around them who mostly had good intentions, who were trying to help kind of corral the damage on both sides. And I, I think in retrospect, they made some decisions about who they talked to and where they went that they probably wouldn't do over again. But again, at the time, I think they were both in in true states of shock. And to hear them both talk about it, they they kind of talk about almost disassociating at the time and just kind of, you know, being told, yeah. hey, do this and maybe talk to this person. And they were kind of just trying to keep their heads above water. Exactly. One moment I have a question about. Can you talk about Naya's very strong reaction to his releasing the tapes? I mean, I get it. You know, I mean, you needed to get the public to kind of see where you're coming from. Like, how could you not think this was a female? Get it. But it was like the voicemails that like, not only was I having to answer for this, now I was like having to validate that. It's really upsetting to watch now, this big vindication kind of thing. Um, and again, in 2022, watching it, you understand. But in the moment, Naya seems to really viscerally be reacting to the memory of the release of those tapes. Was that a difficult moment in that interview with her? Yeah, it was. And and look, I, I you know, I don't... I don't want to speak for her or try and get inside her head about why that particular moment in what is undoubtedly a painful period to revisit more broadly, why that one felt so sharp. You know, I think she she talked about how it was just kind of like a, a new thing that she would have to answer to. I think they were both in this in this place of trying to just deal with what was out there and and explain it as much as they had to and get away from it, right? Just as quickly as possible. That was like a really strong feeling I got from both of them, which is just like this desire to just like move away, to break away, to to put this behind them and elsewhere. And I think that's why they both didn't talk about it for 10 years. And I think that just felt like a new entry, a new piece of evidence in this. And, you know, I think it ultimately like, you know, does this thing we've been talking about a little bit in this interview, which is paints Naya as a villain or, you know, it puts this in the kind of like good, bad binary um, or, or whatever it is. And, you know, hopefully what we we showed here is that this this whole story is more complex. Um, it's it's a story about Naya's path to self-discovery and where that intersects with Manti's well-being, you know, and, and it does, you know, there's no doubt that it does. But I think people will have different opinions on when those two things collide and at what point, at what point it goes too far, which it, undoubtedly it does. And she'd be the first to say it. But that kind of gray area. Right. I think like partners on on this show, the Way Brothers are, are the masters of that gray area documentary filmmaking, right? I think yeah. about Sheila all the time and the way they made Wild Wild Country. And you watch those episodes and you catch yourself rooting for Sheila at moments. And then you catch yourself going, this yeah. woman tried to poison the water supply. Right, <laughs> like, right, right, she literally right. tried yeah, to we have that argument in my house all right. the time. Yeah, <laughs> but, and, and they did it. They did it. That yeah. to me is an unbelievable feat of filmmaking. And I don't I'm not, I'm not saying that, that anything that Tone and I did is is on that level. But, you know, that's our that's our, our guiding light. That's our North Star for this is like letting complex gray area characters be complex and gray area and not not ourselves weigh in 
on any side of that ledger. Exactly. But I, I think for Manti, I mean, ultimately it's a story about, you know, connection that, that ends in betrayal and heartbreak. <laughs> I mean, it's simply that for him. I have to ask, I mean, we've, you've mentioned the word people, the people say, the people thought like many times, you know, there were people who thought he was in on it. And even the reporters you talked to seem to have some lingering doubts, even though ultimately they said they were telling a story about the media. Right. Why did people think this wasn't a hoax on Manti? They seem to think it was a hoax perpetrated on them. <sighs> These are good questions. Go ahead, Ryan. Take it. Oh, man. I was hoping you were going to jump in on that. One, buddy. Um, yeah, look, I think I think there's there's a we understandably can be cynical as sports fans. We root for our favorite teams. And at the end of the day, someone trades one of our favorite players or someone holds out for a bigger contract. And we realize, God, sports is a business and I'm a dupe. I'm a dupe who's been sitting here rooting for the laundry, as the expression goes. <laughs> so I think it's 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 particularly in vogue for the smart sports fans to look at everything cynically and to assume the motives of big business behind every event that happens off the field in sports. So I think when this happens... And again, you got to remember that it's also it's at the time, as we mentioned in the film, of kind of this fallen heroes collage of of (laughs) events we've been having headlined by Lance Armstrong and, and the doping scandal. So people look at this and they go, oh, it's another fallen hero. It's another person who's been lying to us or tricking us just like Lance. Um Right. You know, and, and there was some Tiger Woods stuff at the time, too. So this cynical sports fan thing goes, this thing has happened. And now all of a sudden he has this Heisman narrative. And it was the year that Johnny Manziel ultimately won. And he had this great story. He was Johnny football. He was turning around the A&M program. And now all of a sudden Manti has this story that has to do with dedicating his season to people he loved and lost. And isn't that Great. And it fits in this box, right? You can see the way, you know, a a sports media member would want to go. I keep this stuff at arm's length. I know what's really happening here. I'm not getting duped. But that just wasn't the case. Yeah, I feel like as fans, that's the human level, right? I mean, we're all like we're all fans of like celebrities and we identify with with them and we totally buy into the fact that, oh, okay, that's our guy and we're with them. And then when you're betrayed in that way, that's why it becomes so personal. I'm a huge fan of, you know, certain players in the NBA and, you know, you feel like, you know, I'm on a personal level when it's just Instagram or, or whatever you're reading. And then, you know, you, you know, last thing you want is them to cheat on their wives or go through some scandal because you're sitting here defending them with their jersey on as a grown man. <laughs> uh, and then being told, you know, they, they, they're they in on a scandal with, with some whatever that's going on in their personal life. So Now, your documentary ends with this expression of forgiveness mm-hmm. from Manti Teo. Um, was that a surprise to you? Oh, man, that was a beautiful, beautiful moment. I'll take all this crap. I'll take all the jokes, I'll take all the memes so that I can be an inspiration to one who needs me to be. That's the whole reason why I'm doing this. And I want everybody to know that if Renaya ever watched this, that I forgive And I hope and pray that him and his family's cool. 
because that's all that I can wish for. I was in tears. Uh, you know, he doesn't cry. And he made it very clear to us that he doesn't cry. He's like, oh, you know, I don't mm. cry. And this was off cam. And that was the first day. And, and it's funny, because, you know, I'll just tell a quick story with, with me and me and Ryan. And I was like, you know what? I think I think it's going to come through. I think he is going to cry. I, you know, I think that, that that's where we're headed as far as like what he's willing to share and how vulnerable he is. And so in the end, when he just bared with us and was so genuine and so vulnerable, that was definitely a surprise for me because, well, I knew it was coming for me as a Polynesian. And again, in my last film, there was a lot of Polynesians crying and a lot of people feedback going, God, I've never seen Polynesian. I didn't realize Polynesians cry so much. These big, tough guys <laughs> on the film. So I knew it was coming just just based on my last film and, and just being with the culture that there, there is a lot of emotions and sensitivities. You know, we're, we're big teddy bears at the end of the day. Um <laughs> But, you know, as far as he went in and the words that he said and how perfect it was and the fact that he forgave, you know, that situation, you know, he hasn't talked to Naya since then or anything and still wishing the best in, in his with his kind heart. You know, he really just kind of ended it off with who he truly is and what he's always truly been, you know, and I feel like that at the end of the day should be closure and an answer to everyone that doubted, you know, whether he was in on it and all this, I think everybody can walk away going, wow, you know, he was just that person, you know, and again, it goes back to a perfect storm of faith, family and football all lining up with a little bit of loneliness <laughs> and uh, and creating, creating that situation. Well, everyone's going to watch it uh, and everyone should watch it if for nothing else, that moment alone. Yeah. It's untold. The girlfriend who didn't exist. Ryan Duffy and Tony Vinuku, I can't thank you enough for joining me to talk about it. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks again to Ryan Duffy and Tony Vinuku. For more of my takes, check out my other podcast, Crime Writers On. Each week on that show, we break down the latest in true crime documentaries, films, podcasts, and pop culture. If you like You Can't Make This Up, please rate and review this show and share it with your friends. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. Make sure to follow or subscribe to the show to stay tuned for all new episodes. Our music is by Kelly Mack at Netflix Music Lab. You Can't Make This Up is a production of Netflix. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>